0: moms you owe it to yourself to stay healthy you owe it to your kids to invest in you you owe it to your future self to get fit years ago I read a quote that I've adopted as a personal mantra for my life and training and it goes with a little something like this a healthy body is a dwelling place best suited for a clear mind a pure heart and an enthusiastic spirit today's guest is a phenomenal coach that is going to give you some insight into how you can stay fit get your body to where you want it to be and integrate all of this despite your demanding life welcome to the evolve podcast evolve your body evolve your mind evolve your soul and evolve your tribe and now it's time to disrupt And with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve podcast. Joining me in the beautiful land of Oberlin, Ohio, is my co-host, the most interesting man that I know, W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles.
1: Steve, thank you. Thanks. I think that snow that you guys got, I think we're about to get it.
0: Coming your way, huh? Well, you're welcome. We're passing that on to to you.
1: Coming to a theater near you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'll tell you it's been one of the craziest winters here in utah that uh i'm not complaining about all the snow because it's been beautiful up at the resorts but uh i'm not gonna lie we're getting into march here and i'm ready for some warm weather so hopefully that's gonna change soon and somewhere in the mountains of utah i am steve cutler and guys we are really fortunate tonight to be joined by brandy elliott brandy is a mom of two and she's been a personal trainer for over 10 years She's an online health and wellness coach and is currently studying holistic wellness and functional medicine at the Institute for Integrative Health. You can find her online. For her Instagram page is Brandy Elliott Fitness or online at BrandyElliottFitness.com. Brandy Elliott, the Lexington personal trainer is what it says on the Instagram. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey,
2: Steve. How are you?
0: Good, good. We are really excited to have you. Um, I love your accent. I love your voice. You probably are listening to us and think that we sound funny because we don't sound cool like you. (laughs) Uh, But uh, we're really excited to have you on and uh, talk about, I think, a couple of uh, topics that are going to be really impactful for our female listeners. Because the reality is um, a lot of women have this guilt that is, sitting inside of them when it comes to taking care of themselves, living a healthy and fit life. And I think one of the things that's really fascinating about what you do is you not only help women, but you also work with uh, young girls as well. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do.
2: So I am a mom of two girls. Like you said, I have a almost 23 year old and a just turned 11 year old girl. So I feel that I am like all knowing on the girl world. Beautiful. Um, I have, they would agree I with sisters. that too,
0: right? They would say you're all knowing your daughters. Uh,
2: maybe not, but right. I have, I'm one of three girls and then I have a sister that has a girl. So we are just a girl family. And um, so when I first got into personal training, I was, I was just kind of training whoever. And then Probably within the past couple of years, I had moms of young girls actually reach out to me. Would you do a young girls boot camp or would you do young girls training? And I think probably half of the training slash I mean we call it boot camp, I don't really know how much 10 year olds can do, um, is talking about, you know, cheering each other on and and being a good friend and being a good team player instead of the normal putting each other down, making everything a competition, making other people feel, you know, beneath themselves. So we try to build each other up. I have all spectrums in the summer. I have tons and tons of girls that I train when school is out from, you know, the ones that really want to be athletic, but they just aren't and they're a little overweight till to the kids that are swimming year round and winning state championships on swim teams. Mm. So I put them all together in one boot camp class so to speak and we work as a team and they cheer each other on and we do some partner things and um, I often I don't pair the two most athletic ones together for a reason I pair them with you know ones that they're going to have to build them up and talk them into keep going and they can do it and it's really good to watch them kind of develop a little bit of camaraderie and I think that we need more of that in this world.
1: Yeah, no
0: doubt i think that uh that's such a difficult age for uh young boys and young girls but young girls in particular because there is a meanness there's a cattiness there's a picking on each other thing that just goes so deep into that um i love the concept that you're talking about of not just pairing the two most fit or the two most athletic people uh girls together because now it's about supporting Talk to us a little bit about what are you coaching these girls on of how to support each other? Because support can look different for different people, but what does that look like for you?
2: Um, well, in the actual classes, the big thing that um, that requires the most support is we do box jumps. And I've, mm. you've seen, I'm sure, the boxes in the gym and their different heights. And obviously your cute little athletic cheerleaders and soccer players can jump up. to the tallest 32, 36, and 40 inches, like it's nothing, but some of your other girls really struggle, and they're not confident enough to even try it, so when you you pair them together and say, you know, between so many, you know, between the two of you, you've got to get 10, the other person is, you know, trying to encourage them, just try, you know, we can start at a lower, a lower height, and it really, um, it makes the ones that are maybe struggling a little bit feel better, and, you know, it gives the maybe a little more cocky girls a little more empathy to see how hard they're trying and that it's not that this doesn't come easy for them and that it's a struggle and that a little bit of an encouragement goes a long way.
0: It's a great perspective. I think empathy helps to cure uh, some of that meanness and some of that uh, judgment and criticism. What are some other ways that you're teaching these girls to be supportive of each other?
2: I have some older middle school girls that um, I wouldn't even say maybe that they don't really talk to me about, you know, maybe not supporting each other, but maybe not being nice to their parents. (laughs) And so I try to really talk to them from a parent's perspective, while also being on their level, like, hey, I know you're super mad. And that wasn't cool maybe of your mom to say that, but it really wasn't probably really hurt her feelings that you told her that you hate her because mm-hmm. coming from a mom who does anything for her kids, it like stabs you in the heart. When your kids say that, even though you know that they don't mean it, it doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. So the older girls, I feel like I focus on a lot of parent battles with them and, um, Another lesson that I try to instill in my older ones for sure is how you do one thing is how you do everything.
0: Love that quote. So
2: uh, I love that quote. So, you know, if you're lackadaisical, you know, if you play soccer and you don't really care, you're probably not doing the best with your schoolwork. If your room's unorganized, your homework's probably not getting turned in on time. And it all kind of just, Collapses together, so I say that to them all the time. They're probably sick of hearing it, but I've seen them actually post it on their social media, so I oh, know wow. that it's it's kicking in a little bit. <laughs>
0: it's a repetition that'll get it to stick. Um, yeah. What are some of the changes that you're seeing with these young girls as you're uh, helping them to be more collaborative and open up to these perspectives?
2: I did have one actually I apologize to her parents and text me a winky face after she had gotten her phone back that had been taken away for the longest time and she wanted to go home with me and not them. So, um, and the same with the younger girls I've noticed that we are at a country club that is the main place that I train and it is already, you know, in 4th and 5th grade like little cliques of girls running around and when I bring them all together At boot camp, you see them branch off a lot more down at the pool and talking to girls that maybe they wouldn't talk to in school or that wouldn't be on the soccer team or on the varsity volleyball team. And so when you bring them together and they get to know each other instead of just the appearance or she's not on my team or she's hanging out with this girl and we think this girl's mean, but you don't really know them, it, it, it really does transpire into a different atmosphere for these kids. And I watched them evolve through the summer last year, and I hope to do it again this year.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful perspective. Um, Oftentimes, kids repeat what they hear at home. They copy behaviors. And so, uh, you know, if the young girl is picking on another girl, uh, that that could be a behavior that is learned at home. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, for sure. Or a behavior that, you know, maybe the parents just don't, maybe it's condoned at home. Um, they don't really get on to him for it at home. I saw it a lot with my older daughter. And then I would hear the parents when we would go out to lunch, you know, talking about this kid or that kid or this mom or that mom. And you know that it's, that it's, I learned a lot of lessons the hard way a little bit from my oldest. Um, but with my youngest one, I feel that I see it the same. Like we were talking earlier, the cell phone, the social media is just the worst thing ever for these kids because they say all kinds of things over text and over these apps that they would never say to their face. And if you're, you know, in my opinion, and every mom is different, if you've got a fifth or sixth grader and they have a phone and you're not reading what they're saying and you don't think they're saying anything bad, you're just naive. I mean, I have the sweetest little girl in the world and she's super tender hearted, but I know she can be mean. I know that she can say things that maybe she didn't mean as hurtful or somebody hurt her feelings or she was just trying to hurt theirs back. Right. But I feel like there is a time for conversation for that stuff. And um, as parents, we have to be aware that it's going on and not be naive enough to say, oh, not my kid. My kid's not doing that because they're all doing it. It's not just one or the other.
0: It's a protective mechanism, right? It's how they protect themselves. If somebody's coming at them, they're going to respond back in kind uh, because the kids don't have the skill set to do it any other way. And if they see what mom and dad have been doing and they model that behavior, if being critical of other people is normal behavior at home, then they will become, they'll take that and they'll multiply that. One of the things that, uh, I, I actually taught this recently to a group of leaders, uh, in a lecture I was giving it is if you're a leader and you allow something to slip 1%, you've now allowed your team to multiply that by 10. And so as parents, I think it's important that parents remember if they allow something to slip, kids are going to magnify that 10 times. And they are going to allow that, um, you know, negative talk or negative behavior to, uh, to be out there because the parent has set that standard. So it's important that whatever standard we want as leaders, as parents, that we hold the highest standard, because then the kids will be reaching for that highest standard. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting dynamic here that I think you're bringing uh, up with coaching these young girls and helping them to deal with emotions and deal with the social interaction, but do it in a physical way. Young kids don't necessarily connect that the body, the movement, the way that they feel is so tied to their emotion and so tied to uh, to the mind. And one of the things I found in coaching people over the years is if we want to process difficult emotion, we do it while we're moving and it becomes so much easier. So it's a phenomenal tool. Talk a little bit about some of these changes as you're moving through. I know you mentioned before, empathy is something that you're seeing happen, but what are, what else are you seeing change as they're going through this movement and as they are starting to adopt some of these things that you're teaching them?
2: Right. Some of the kids are a little, um, I call them my anxiety babies. They're a little high strung and every little thing kind of stresses them out and you can tell. I get most of them right after a practice, whether it be swim, tennis, or soccer, I have it set up so they come straight to me afterwards. And I tend to get the brunt of the, I had a bad practice, my mom yelled at me in the car or, and all the tension is built up. But by the time that we're at the end of the workout, as a general rule, everybody's laughing and they're a lot calmer.
1: Mm. And
2: it's funny how, just like you said, movement, moving your body, and trying to disassociate with what happened a minute ago, I always say the happiest animal in the world is a goldfish because it only has a five second memory, like yeah. be a goldfish. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen Ted Lasso, but it's like yep. the best quote yep. that's that's on there. I love that. And I tell my girls that all the time, like, don't hold grudges, be a goldfish. Like that happened. It's over. Like, let's move on and let's get rid of some of this stress. And the first thing that I do is I put them on the treadmill. The first thing that I do when they walk in there with me and they're complaining and they're as I put them on the treadmill, I separate all of them and I just put that speed up where they can't talk, they can't complain, they have to decompress. Usually about five minutes of them decompressing, they get off and we get moving and things were already so much better.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. a marvelous way of changing, getting them to change their state. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for so that's sure. really what
1: that is. It's a state change. Uh huh. Yeah, that's, that's definitely. Genius.
2: And when they come in and they're tired, that's the first thing. Oh, do I have to run today? I'm so tired. Well, now you're running a little bit longer. <laughs> How about you get to run today because you have a body that's able to run, you're fit enough to run for X amount of time. And I'm like, you know, I've got a whole newfound perspective on being fit enough to run as I'm hobbling around in a boot. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's great. uh, I think. it's a, such a bi, uh, an important thing. It, you know, We become more evolved as we consistently change our state because uh, state psychology eventually becomes trait psychology, right? Whatever we do repetitively becomes a trait. And so if I talk negatively and I feel a certain way when I'm doing that and then I do that over time, that becomes a trait. That, uh, and that's just part of my character. That's part of who I am. But if you're changing their state consistently by getting them into this movement and it's pushing them, it's pretty tough to be a critical person and mean when you are kind of dying yourself on that treadmill, right?
2: Right. So, oh, for sure. And then you're all dying at the same time when it's over. So there's no yeah. criticism of the other person.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to do it. Um There's another component to what you're talking about that I find fascinating. And, and that's that Moms and dads can teach concepts or principles, but it might not always get in with the kids because of the title, uh, your mom, your dad, but having a coach, having a trainer, having somebody that's outside of that mom and dad dynamic, tell the kids, even if it's the exact same thing that mom and dad have been saying, there's more weight, there's more power to that. How do you work with the parents in this dynamic? Is that something where they come to you and say, "Hey Brandy, uh Sally acted up. Can you help us with this?" Or is this just something that you're doing on your own as you're training and coaching these young girls?
2: I- I actually do have a really good relationship with actually all of the parents of my girls. Um, The older ones that are about to transition into high school, especially, they're kind of the ones that are giving their parents a little more fits than, you know, my fifth and sixth graders. But absolutely, I'm in a group text with about 10 parents and they have no qualms on the days that I have them. Just telling me like oh this one's in trouble she doesn't have a phone this is what's going on please help nice and so i just kind of play dumb and you know hey such and such you know where's your phone (laughs) (laughs) i tried to text you and then i get to hear their side of the story and as we work out and as they're moving their bodies we just talk through it and I'm probably not telling them anything different than their parents are telling them, but it comes from me. But I do think that you have to be very secure as a parent to be okay with your kid taking advice from somebody else. And so this is a great group of parents that I have, Um, a great group of parents, because I know when I was younger with my oldest one, I might have felt a little intimidated by that. Like, oh, well, she's, you're listening to her and not me, but now I just kind of feel like it takes a village.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's a, uh, that's an important thing. I, I think for parents to understand is that relationship with a coach, that relationship with the trainer um, is probably one of the best relationships that you can develop or a relationship with the teacher, because you can then have your values, your ideas, the things that you want to make sure that you get across to your kids. Um, happening in a different way where it's a little bit less threatening, right? Mom and dad sometimes right. can be the people that the kids don't want to listen to because you're mom and dad. So, this relationship between a coach, this relationship between a trainer, a teacher, it's just such a powerful relationship for parents to have. Um, great insight on the young girls and what you're doing there. I want to jump ahead a few years to the moms. Um, sure. I know you work with a lot of moms, you work with a lot of women and as we mentioned in the introduction to the show a lot of women really struggle with this concept of it's time to take care of myself because they are they lean so heavily into taking care of nurturing uh their families and especially their kids that there is a struggle to say okay it's time for me you seeing this on your end and if so how is that manifesting itself
2: I see it all the time and I, I feel like a preacher about it all the time. Um, and I usually use myself as an example. I have, I'm an open book, so I'll say all the things, you know, if I am not, um, you know, staying on top of my nutrition, if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I am not getting my exercise, I cannot be the mom, the wife, the coach that everybody needs me to be. So that is kind of the way that I put it to my moms. Like, Oh, you know, I don't have time or I've got this, like you have to prioritize your time because for you to be the best mom for your kids, you have to be the best you. you can't be the best you when you're 50 pounds overweight and tired and living on McDonald's. Mm. So that's kind of my starting point. And obviously I don't expect people to make 180s and start eating organic and only whole foods and come into boot camp six times a week. So it's just baby steps, and every there's not a one size fits all approach to health and fitness. Every person is, you know, bio individual, they have bio individual needs, they respond better to different things. So it's just tailored to that person and that lifestyle. I like, um, one-on-one training a lot because I cultivate a lot better relationships. And we talk about anything from children problems to problems in the workforce to, you know, marital issues. Um, I'm like a hairdresser, but <laughs> you know, you have to be Good description, <laughs> but really you have to have, everybody needs an outlet no matter who it is. Yeah. And so we just try to work through, all the things and find a starting point that is good for that individual person.
0: A lot of women feel guilty to get started. How do you help them overcome the guilt?
2: No guilt. (laughs) I basically just tell them what I told you. There is nothing to feel guilty about for taking time to yourself. Self-care should be like the most important care because you cannot be a good mom if you are not on your a game if you are not feeling your best if you're tired and run down then you're going to be snapping at your kids you know your your laundry is behind and that's making you cranky and so it is just super important as moms number one that we take time for ourselves but also it's setting an example for our kids you know our kids see us eating healthy and taking care of themselves. And that becomes the norm. I mean, my kids have grown up in a gym, so they don't, I mean, they've grown up on, you know, whole food, nutrition and home cooked meals. So that is the norm to them. So for, you know, they have friends over here and where's your mom? Well, she's at the gym. Where's your dad? Or, you know, it is just, they don't know anything different. And it kind of shocks me how many parents don't do either. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And that they're setting these examples of that. It's, you know, it's okay to be on your phone until 11 o'clock at night and it's okay to eat hot tamales for dinner. I mean, we are the childhood obesity rate is at an all-time high. The obesity rate in the United States is at an all-time high. We are just really out of control as a country. Yeah. Can you take us
1: through, if you, without naming names, of specific client that was the most resistant but you saw produce the most change Mm.
2: yeah and he probably really wouldn't care it was actually a gentleman um former high school and college football player so I mean probably about 20 well I don't know I don't want to say that because then he might yell at me 10 or 15 years older (laughs) than me but you know you get you think that you know because you played college sports, but just like everything, like fitness has evolved, nutrition has evolved. It used to be calories in versus calories out. But you know, now we know that not all calories are created equal. Some of them have fiber, some of them are just full of sugar and they spike your insulin. And so he was a little resistant with me, but I think that he probably lost. A good 50 pounds in three and a half months wow when i got him on board and told him you know you've got to make protein a priority like he would just never drink water before ever it's like it it, it fills up my stomach i'm like no you've got to drink water there they go <laughs> the
0: dogs the dogs have joined us welcome dogs Hold let the dogs <laughs> <have> out roof <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> They they are out that's great. So he was super resistant. He was super resistant when I, you know, tried to tweak maybe his form a little bit. Um, Because he was just of the old school mindset. Like, let me just go as heavy as I can for one rep. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. Well, that's not going to get you in the shape that you want to be in. It's not going to, you know, change the shape of your body. It's not going to make you lose the weight that you want to lose. So I really had to dial him in. And I probably... Of all my clients, I had him be the most accountable to me. I mean, he was sending me his food log every day, the scale when he jumped on it. You know, I had him as a friend on my watch. I could see when he ran, how, how much he had walked that day. So we really buy to in. town.
1: When did he buy in? Can you remember the moment like, you know, because there's always a moment, you know, you when you're fighting a client who's resistant, they're resistant and then there's always like a specific time day a moment that they buy in and, and 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 when they buy in you kind of relax it's like you can exhale
2: it was can pro- you remember I mean, probably the- in a, which you men can lose like 10 pounds in a week it drives us a swimming crazy but he probably lost like 12 pounds wow. in the first week and just because just because i pulled away the inflammatory foods and I didn't let him sit down. I know, pull. You know, I pulled his his beer away and his bourbon away, and that did a lot of it.
0: Nice. But I didn't just
2: let him sit on machines and just do like single body weight exercises. We were doing total compound movements. Yeah, I took away his alcohol, made him drink water. But then when the weight fell off super quick, it was kind of this aha moment, and he sent me, you know, body fat composition in the scale. Over a couple of weeks, and he he was he was bought in from then. Ah, uh,
0: okay. Sometimes that's what it takes. You just you've you've got to get somebody almost strong armed until they get the results, and then once they get the results and they see that what you're coaching them on matters, and they see that it's effective, then they wake up and they say, "Okay, well then, now you've proven it to me." Uh, So then you just you never have to look back. But I like how you're talking about the accountability piece, because accountability is plays such a big role in making these changes, making these lifestyle behavioral changes Um, with the women that you're working with. Talk about how you're holding them accountable.
2: Right now I have a really fun challenge going on and they're just all friends. And so they're kind of competitive with each other, but we're having a, I don't know if you've heard of 75 hard. Yeah. It was something that was super popular. So we kind of did a reduced version of that because that's really hard, especially for some of these women that haven't worked out since last summer. So we're just doing 40 days of two workouts a day, but the second the second workout doesn't necessarily have to be in the gym. I just ask them to get up and move their bodies. So whether they sit on the floor and they stretch or they have a dance party with their kids in the living room, they go for a walk together, just move your bodies for 20 minutes a second time during the day. And we have actually a little poster like they're in kindergarten set up in the fitness center room and they put their little stickers on there (laughs) every time that they work out twice and I mean and they're just super pumped about it it's really funny I mean these are you know 40 and 50 year old women and there's there's some men in there too and they are all about coming in every day and putting their stickers on and they'll even send me you know their walk that they went on where it shows the little lap that they went around the block so that I know they're not fibbing. It's, it's really cute.
1: (laughs) So at what point do you confiscate their bourbon?
2: I know, right? I mean, it's baby steps. (laughs)
0: Little by little yeah, the the accountability doesn't need to be something that's uh, that's mean or hard. It can be a lot of fun. And I think that the more uh, play we infuse into health and fitness, the easier it becomes to have that stick for the long run. because if you want to create an evolution, it's got to be fun. It's got to be something that you're enjoying. And being able to show the you know your coach or your tribe that you're making those changes, there's a lot of pride to that.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I had one of them that texts me the other day that she had lost six pounds since we started this. I think we wow. started it February the 20th. And I didn't even ask them to change their diet. I just, you know, get off the phone, get off the laptop and just get up and move like it's baby steps. I want you to change your diet. I want you to chill out on the alcohol and the fast food, but like we got to start somewhere.
0: Yeah. Little habits over time, they really compound. What are the most important habits that you work with uh, to get people started? I I think those what you just mentioned are phenomenal. Are those the ones that you consistently start with or uh, are there others?
2: No, I am really big on chilling out on the sugar because everything has sugar in it. And I'm not talking about fruits. I'm not worried about fruits, fruit juices. Yes, because the fruit juices, they take the fiber out of the fruit and it's yeah. just pure sugar. It's spiking your insulin and all the bad things that come with that. Um, right. So I really talked to him about sugar and what you cook your food in. I think seed oils are absolutely horrible for you. I think that they're one of the main causes of this huge obesity epidemic because everything is cooked and all this horrible refined stuff. So I really talked to them about cooking their own food and chilling out on the sugar, read labels and move your body. Those are my like, those are my bullet points. Like let's start here.
0: Great steps. That's the mantra. Yeah. Yeah yeah for sure let's start here that but they're great steps because sugar with that uh that that spike and drop in insulin causes so many problems for people uh relative to their overall metabolic health their energy inflammation and you tend to just crave more i have almost never met a client that i've worked with that as soon as we pulled back on sugar significantly that they had a difficult time regulating what they were eating but if they were eating higher levels of sugar they just wanted to keep going there's something that clicks right. in the brain that just says oh i want i want more and more and more not to mention the fact that this up and down with sugar insulin i've got energy i don't have energy i'm crashing it's it's so damaging for people and i, sp- I think especially busy moms uh that's a that's a very very difficult thing cuz your mom you you never you don't take time off you don't go on a vacation from being a mom right. right you think about it all the time so staying away from sugar seed oils those are I, I think some important uh steps in the right direction um you mentioned before that with these moms it's you you don't always start with the food though you talk about set the phone down and you mentioned earlier that this idea of not having the phone out in front of your face at 11 o'clock at night, why is that so important to you?
2: Because sleep is so important. And those horrible little blue lights in our phone mess with the receptors in our brains and our brains just can't shut down the way that they're supposed to. Um, I think more, it is really important for kids. It's a battle that I have with my youngest all the time. And then she can't fall asleep because your brain is so stimulated from these screens and these lights and all this flashing stuff and the blue lights in the phone that your brain is going crazy. Then you want to turn, put your phone down and try to roll over and go to sleep and it is just not having it. Yeah. And sleep is just so crucial to growing kids, to us moms, just in general.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the best thing for recovery is to get a consistent great night's sleep. You recover sure. psychologically, you recover uh, physically. It's just, it, it's phenomenal. We always hear that moms are too busy. They're busy running carpool around. They've got other kid commitments. They, uh, you know, are, they, they got a job. They, they're, there's multiple things on their plate, right? So they don't have the time to work out, to eat well. What do you tell those moms?
2: I think that you find time for what is important to you. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. With my oldest daughter, I was a single mom for about six years.
1: Mm. I
2: still work out four days a week. I didn't have any help. I had a grandmother that lived close to me that, you know, she would keep her while I would go work out. I just made it a priority. It was just a non-negotiable in my life. Whether it meant that I had to get up early and do a workout in my living room while she was still asleep. Or that I didn't take a lunch and left work early so that I could get a workout in before I had to go pick her up. I just think that if it's important to you that you will find time and you will find a way. And you have to make it a priority.
0: How does a mom that is very busy right now get started? How do they carve out the time to create the habit?
2: I think that that could go a couple of different ways. I think that it could go either you get up 20 minutes early and you do nothing, but maybe you walk your dog around the block Mm. or you do a yoga video. If you can't leave your kids because you have young kids, you do a yoga video in your living room floor. Some type of morning routine where you move your body is going to set the precedence for the day. And I think if you can get into that routine, you will find that you crave it and that you want to get up and you want that 20 minutes of solitude, um, all to yourself. That is just for you.
1: Like start to build momentum
2: for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: A little bit at a time. I, I think for those of our listeners who might not be moving on a consistent basis, I've heard over the years, people say, well, I'm too tired to go work out. But what happens over time is as soon as you start training consistently, your body increases its energy. In fact, you go work out and you push yourself hard and automatically you've created energy. So it almost seems like the opposite of what you would expect. If you're tired, great, go work out because that's going to give you energy over time. And it can give you a burst of energy right then, right? You're going to start to feel that energy coming. So I love the idea of starting that morning routine, get something that starts small and then build from there. Let's talk about strength training. This is something, uh, Brandy, I know you have heard over and over and over again from women. I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to get bulky.
2: Yes, I still hear it every day.
0: <laughs> Why is that still I, around?
2: I don't know. I think <laughs> I think it's just a common misconception and they still think that they can change the shape of their body by hours of cardio yeah. on the treadmill. Yeah. Um so I've, you know, I sometimes I post pictures of myself and I just try to use myself as an example like here's me just doing all the cardio, not lifting weights, flabby belly, flabby arms. This is me doing minimal cardio, you know, maybe three days a week for 20 minutes, just walking on the treadmill or getting a jog in, but lifting super heavy weights, not even that long, like 30, 40 minutes, four days a week. I mean, I'm not working out an hour and a half ever. And the the change in your body and the change in the definition, I mean, nobody wants saggy arms, they say, but they don't want to lift heavy or, yeah. you know, they jiggly thighs, but they don't want to lift heavy. So it is, <laughs> I mean, I just, I feel like a um, a nagging wife sometimes in the <laughs> gym because I feel like I just say it over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. And until somebody tries it and they start to see their body change, I mean, it's just they're just stuck in their ways. I don't know why that's still around. You know, Some of the most fit people ever don't really hardly do that much cardio. They just lift heavy weights. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah.
1: you know, the interesting thing about that remark, Steve, because you know, obviously, when I worked at Lifetime Fitness, I would hear it too. And you hear the remark in the presence of women who lift heavy, who look stunning. You know, I remember at Lifetime, there was one woman that had come in. She would train at Lifetime once every seven or eight, nine months, who was a legitimate bodybuilder. And that's the only time they got to see somebody who looked, you know, massive with the muscle. But other than that, at Lifetime Fitness, it was just a bunch of stunning women who looked athletic and looked lean and you would still get women would come in and say without even looking at the women I don't want to get bulky and 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 I would have to look at them and say take a look around because the women you're looking at lift heavy and there's nobody bulky or you know that that weightlifting and I just thought it was fascinating in the presence of women who lift heavy women would still process that mantra I don't want to look bulky I don't want to get like a man
2: I mean, that is still, and another thing that is still is, you know, they don't want to do the same workouts over and over. I cannot seem to get people to understand progressive overload. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I need to switch it up and I want to do, you know, boot camp with 20 different exercises every day of the week. I mean, that's going to be, that's great for your cardiovascular system, but it's not going to change your body that much. It's just not. I mean, progressive overload, doing the same exercises over and over I mean switch up the weights try to go heavy you know sometimes maybe you go through a a block of time where you're resting two minutes between sets and then you take it down in four weeks and you and you don't rest that long between sets but it's still progressive overload progressive overload and I can't seem to get people to that's another misconception that you need to switch up your workouts and do all the different things and
0: here we are <laughs> it's such a you know our, our business is such a weird business health and fitness because there's so many people out there that have no business being in the business they have no clue what they're doing but they will constantly spew these ideas of just you know constantly change it up and all of these things that you're talking about but the results don't lie you know when you look at people who develop great physiques when you look at women who have completely transformed the way that they look they do it through strength training they do it through progressive overload they do it through getting very good at that particular exercise um you know you look at any athlete they don't you don't have football players changing up their workout every single workout they don't do that they they, they do the things that get them better at football if you want to change your physique you do the things that will get you better at changing your physique if you want to develop more shapely shoulders you need to get really good at doing a variety of shoulder exercises and then consistently either increase your reps by one or two or increase the amount of weight that you're lifting by you know two to five pounds right it's just it's these incremental changes that happen over time you referenced earlier The rest periods and changing things up as you go through uh, the workout program across a period of time. And I think that's an important thing I want to talk about this concept of periodizing or cycling our training between periods of where we're going through accumulation and then intensification, such an important piece to training. Now, years and years ago, when I got into the business, there was this amazing book by the father of periodization, Tudor Bompa. And he talked about that there's five different phases of periodization. Well, over time, we've really narrowed that down to where there's probably two that are most important. We're either going through an intensification phase, where we're lifting really heavy, it's very intense, right? This could be anywhere from a one rep max, all the way up to maybe four or five reps we could maybe push into the six range um we need longer periods of rest there because there's more metabolic damage that's happening inside the muscle so we need these heavy times but then we may go through an accumulation phase and the accumulation phase is where you're going to do a little bit more volume and that's where you start to shape the muscle a little bit more intensification creates the density in the muscle fiber uh, that's the tone. So when you tap the muscle, it taps back, right? And then the accumulation is where we start to shape the muscle. So talk a little bit more about how you work with your clients and changing up their programs so that they get the balance between the heavy strength and then the shaping. Um,
2: I think that just like you're saying, that's so important. And I actually have done a quote unquote bodybuilding. I just did the bikini aspect of it, a fitness competition. Oh, right. And so I try to so I try to use that as an example. Yes, I just did the same exercises over and over and over again for months and months and lived on chicken and green beans. But <laughs> um I for example, I have a little girl that I'm trying to get ready for a wedding and it is really hard for her to wrap her head around. You're gonna have to eat a lot more and you're going to have to put on some weight before we can dial it back. You know, you're going to go really heavy. You're going to have to only do six to eight reps. You're going to have to rest two minutes in between each set But like, let's give that 12 weeks and then we're going to switch it and we're going to go down a little bit in weight and you're only going to rest 15 seconds between each set Mm -hmm. and you're going to max out the last two sets, as many as you can do. I don't care if it's two or 20, you're just going to keep going. And that's when you're going to see the weight start to fall off. And that's when you're going to see everything start to tighten up. But nobody wants to gain weight. Like that's the whole point of everybody coming into the gym But when you're really trying to put on muscle and really trying to transform your body, there is just going to be a little bit of weight gain because you have to eat at a calorie surplus to gain muscle. You just do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that's an important thing to, uh, to help people to understand, I almost feel like brandy, tell me your thoughts on this, that it that takes some time for people to understand, they have to experience it, because they're so fearful of I don't want to gain weight, which is essentially saying, Hey, I don't have control of my body, my mind, my habits, I don't have the knowledge, skills and abilities to get myself lean. So they're going to struggle with this whole idea of gaining weight until they go through that cycle where you're uh, creating more intensification, rest periods are longer, you're taxing the metabolic systems better. um, And they start to lose the body fat and they say, Oh, wow, okay, now I get it. Now I have the knowledge, I have the skills, I have the ability to make this change. Now I'm not as afraid. Where's where's the shift point for your clients? When does something spark in their mind where they say, now I understand what you're saying?
2: Sometimes it just doesn't, <laughs> I mean, because it just it's doesn't time to fire
0: your clients then. Right.
2: Oh, I mean, there's just some that want to weigh themselves every single day and it, women, especially like you're like, our weight just fluctuates so much from hormones yeah. to water weight, all the things. And I feel like as a society, we've gotten so fixated on the scale But the scale just doesn't tell the whole story. Right. I mean, people are mind-blown when they when I tell them how much I weigh. They're like, there's no way. But I have a lot of muscle on me, and muscle weighs so much more than fat. And I lift super heavy. So when I tell them that, I think sometimes they feel a little bit better, but there it is the fixation with the scale is got to go. Because weight loss is just not, it's just not a downward trail all the time. It just isn't. I mean, it's, you're going to have your highs and your lows and everybody's going to gain some weight and everybody's going to lose some weight. And so the scale doesn't tell the whole picture. And I try so hard to kind of drill that into my clients' heads. We do a lot of body fat calibration because when the scale's not moving, but the body fat is, that seems to, oh, or, you know, when you are measuring, then they kind of start to understand, well, okay, so now I feel better. Like I've only lost a pound, but I've lost three inches off my waist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, the variety of, of measurements, it, it's so funny. You're right. The scale has become the only thing that people uh measure, but if somebody owns a business, they would not just pick one thing in their business and measure that and say, Okay, we're super successful. Um, right. right. That's just it's ridiculous. If you drive a car, you have multiple dials on that car, they're all important. You know, if you get pulled over for doing 20 over the speed limit and you look at the cop and say, Yeah, but I got a full tank of gas, they'd look at you and say, You're looking at the wrong dial, right? But right. we do that in fitness. We pick one measurement and we say it's all about the weight. But When you peel the onion layers back and i don't know if you've seen this like i have when we go to talking to a lot of these moms that want to lose weight get in better shape and i say what does that look like well i'd like to lose 10 pounds okay peel that back more tell me about it and it essentially is that they want to build confidence they want to look better in their clothing they want to wear a different size they want to feel empowered they want to feel connected they want to feel like they've got this sense of control right The weight is not the thing. And so my question to them and to our listeners who might be stuck on this same thing is, if ultimately you want to feel better, look better, and be more confident, why do you care about what the number on the scale is? That makes no sense whatsoever, right? Have you run into that same problem?
2: Oh, for sure. And I I tried to peel the onion back the same. I think that was just a great analogy. Like, what's it going to take? For you to feel more confident. Yeah. Like, is it, I want to be a size four. I want to look good in this dress. I mean, there are so many different factors that go into that. You know, I want to have more energy. I don't want to wake up tired all the time. And it's, it just should not always be about the number on the scale. I would throw them all away. I would tell people just to not even weigh themselves. Yeah. because it can be very defeating and it just doesn't tell the whole story.
0: Well, and it's, it's a little bit, uh, I mean, it's so up and down, right? Right. It's like a politician. It's going to tell you whatever it (laughs) wants to tell you, depending on how it feels for the day. So the, you know, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. It doesn't really has nothing to do with exactly what you're doing, but I think that there are numbers out there that you can find that uh, you can chase that will be much better numbers to chase. So if you're developing this strength, okay, you were lifting this heavy of weight before, now you're lifting this heavy weight for this number of repetitions, right? So I think that there is so much more um, impact by tracking numbers that you actually have control over. I can control if I can lift one more repetition with that same weight, or if I can go up five pounds, I can control that over time. I can't always control what my body weight is because like you said, I might have more fluid retention one day. Maybe uh, for women it's it, that, the during the cycle and so they're holding on a lot more fluid and might be there five, 10, 15 pounds heavier because of that. And then this fluctuation happens, oh yeah, I feel good okay so you're happy you lost fluid that makes no sense right Right. fluid is not the enemy brandy um i great insights into how you're guiding your clients through these changes and these challenges when they make these breakthroughs talk about the results that you're seeing what is changing inside of them as they make these physical changes
2: I think a lot of it is there's so much mental involved in the physical changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you really have to develop the right mindset going into this to, I don't want to say you're going to manifest the changes, but, you know, I would say, be it until you become it. Mm. And, like you know, walk into the gym. I don't care if you're 180 pounds and you're five foot two You walk in there and you work out just as hard as you would if you were, you know, 110 pounds and a D1 cheerleader. I think that we really have to focus on mindset. I think that the news and the radio is so full of negativity. It's so full of, you know, shaming people for this or shaming them for that. And it's so full of misinformation, also. So I like to say, Be it until you become it, regardless of where your starting point is.
0: Great points. Brandy, as we are coming up on our time here, uh, just a few more questions about you as the fitness professional, as the coach. What is something that you've learned in the last three years that excites you the most?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, Probably that... I do think that it is becoming more and more prevalent that the food industry lies to us about what is healthy and what is not
0: healthy.
2: 100%. I think that, um, you know, low fat is such a misconception on labels and people think, Oh, I buy all low fat, or I buy all organic. So I'm healthy and it is, you know, there are so many more documentaries and it's on the news. Like, why is the obesity rate up if there's more low fat food choices? Well, because when they take the fat out of the food, they have to flavor it with something and they put sugar in it. Yep. And so I love to see that that is becoming the forefront front, and that people are starting to recognize it more and more.
0: Yeah, great, great point. I am I'm excited quick about question that. For you. I
2: know Steve has a bunch of questions
1: before we close out, but I'm going to make you the American foods are oh boy you could and you could get rid of one food one thing in this country and it would be banned forever what would you get rid of
2: oh my gosh (laughs) oh my my daughter's laying behind me thinking oh no don't say anything that I like probably (laughs) uh, I'm probably gonna go with potato chips
0: (laughs) Oh, there chips. you go. Okay. Steve
2: that questions for you
1: too. That' questions for you too.
0: I, for me, that's an easy one. It would be soda. And the reason I would say uh, soda yeah, is because one it, it, you can get so many calories from a 12 ounce can of soda and you, yes. you just will continue to go and go and go. And I think if we um, got rid of sugar sodas and uh, we would not have the same obesity epidemic that we have. you know I mean, you look at uh, what we've done, back in the day the cans were you could you know put them between your thumb and your finger nowadays you've got this big can but most people will go get them from these soda shops or they will go down to the gas station and they get a huge cup and it's just when you're talking about sometimes 800 to a thousand calories just in a in a soda and you drink your drink your calories like that you are on the fast track towards obesity and so many other diseases
1: yeah, yeah. I more think I would sure. go with soda, too. I think soda's a good choice to get rid right of. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. a good one.
2: To me, that's equal with potato chips because they're all, you know, the number one ingredients are like corn, seed oils, and yeah. grains, which are all also horrible, horrible, and even more horrible.
1: That's so, what I thought you were going to say because earlier you had talked about seed oils. I thought you were going to go there. How did your daughter feel about the chips? <laughs>
2: her favorite thing ever salt and vinegar chips
1: so she <laughs> you know she's it, probably
2: giving me dirty looks
0: it's great that you said the chips though because there there was uh, a, another fitness professional that i uh, i listened to and respect uh highly that said the exact same thing uh for a couple of reasons one when you eat the the chips you're getting the combination of the fat and some sugar and salt together that is very palatable And yet you, you're not satiated at all because you have no protein in there to satiate. And so potato chips in particular, give you the carbs and the fat and the sugar, or excuse me, carbs and uh, fat and salt that uh, will just make you want to continue to eat it. And so that's why people can eat bags and bags and bags of potato chips, because it's not a natural food, right? You don't go out in nature and get anything that just has straight carbs, fat, and sugar, or excuse me, and salt. Um, y- you know, you don't go kill the cow or pick the apple, and you've got this massive combination of fat and sugar together. Uh, and then you throw some salt on it, and man, you, you can just destroy a bag in 20 minutes. Interestingly
1: enough, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, my favorite treat was a bag of chips chased by a Pepsi Cola.
2: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: We're glad you've evolved past that. I haven't done that
1: in that. years. Yeah. That was yes. the combination.
0: <laughs> For me, it was two chocolate donuts and a Dr. Pepper from uh, 7-Eleven <laughs> as we came back down from the mountain and climbing. Brandy,
1: who, <laughs>
0: who is inspiring you right now?
2: Um, in, as far as maybe fitness influencers that I follow. Um, yeah, just
0: anybody that's inspiring you.
2: Yeah, I have a friend. that's
1: Miles just, and Steve, too.
0: We'll That's take right. it. Yeah, we'll take it. Thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: I have a really dear friend that lives in all the palms and her name is Moira Kubava, And I just adore her and I adore everything about her social media her presence. I know her personally, which mm-hmm. just makes me love her more, but she's just who she is. She's such an open book. She doesn't really care to just put it all out there. Um, And I think as women, that's, that's something that we all struggle for. You know, it's, it's really hard to put it all out there. We just like the way that it looks,
0: you know,
2: obviously Facebook pictures don't tell the whole story, but we like people to think that it does. So she just doesn't care. And I think that more that we need to be more like her.
0: Great perspective. I love that one. Last question for you. So uh, let's talk about disruption. We, we believe that disruption is critical for sparking an evolution. How do you disrupt your life in order to spark new evolution?
2: Oh, geez. That's a hard one. I will say getting out of my comfort zone 100% um, and trying things that I would have never done. For example, I've never been like an outdoorsy person. My husband and his friends love to hike and go on these, you know, week long hiking trips that I would never in a million years go on. But I have, however, decided that I like nature a little more than I didn't, that I thought that I did. And I've gone on a few, you know, little hikes that they've gone on and even went and stayed in a tent.
0: (laughs) Wow. Look at you.
2: So I am trying to evolve a little bit and branch out of my comfort zone.
0: I love that. That's great. Well, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of the Evolve Podcast. I want to thank our guest. Uh, what a what a really fun conversation, and I think very insightful for a lot of our uh, female listeners in particular, Brandy Elliott. Thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, yeah, I think thank my- you. Yeah, thank my co-host W. Miles Riley for uh, for jumping on as well. Brandy, what is the best way for people to follow you and follow your personal evolution and get in touch with you if they have questions on what you do?
2: Sure. My Facebook and Instagram are both the same. They're both Brandy Elliott Fitness and my website is fitness.com. and so is my email. It's fitness at gmail.com. You can find me. I try to stay, you know, Pretty, try to keep it the same across all the boards so that I'm easy to find. But I would love to connect, reach out, follow me on Instagram. I'll follow you back. I try to reply to all the messages that I get. It may take me a couple of days, but I'll get to you. I promise.
0: I love that. Uh, and you're actually one that uh, I, I I love nowadays. That uh, part of my way that I look for guests on the podcast is if somebody has uh, something that pops up on my page that uh, they've got a post that's promoted or whatever. I'll think, oh, okay, that's I, I like the content that that person put out there. So I follow them and follow them for a couple of weeks. If they still capture my interest, I'll shoot a message and say, "You want to come on the podcast?" Uh, I always appreciate the uh, faster responses, not that everybody should respond fast, but I always appreciate them. And you were one of those. So I think you post some great content, you're doing some really good stuff out there. So I uh, highly encourage our listeners to go follow Brandy on social media. And we'll put all those links in the show notes as well for our listeners so that they can listen. But hey, guys, remember that it does take time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. and evolve. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Evolve Podcast. Follow us on your favorite podcast app, and if you haven't done so, please give us a rating. As an independent podcast, it really helps us get more reach. This podcast is part of our mission to help millions of people evolve into the best versions of themselves. Please check out our coaching services at evolve-cast.com or pick up some of our Evolve merch. Until next time, keep evolving.